0: Welcome to the Sports Spectrum Podcast, where faith and sports collide. Here's your host, Jason Romano. Welcome to episode number 44 of the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Hi, everyone. My name is Jason Romano. Thank you so much for joining us here on the program today. As always, subscribe and download this podcast. You can get it on Apple, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, everywhere podcasts are found. And when you subscribe... And that's what I suggest to do is to subscribe. Just hit the subscribe button on the podcast because what it allows you to do is never miss an episode. When we release a new podcast, when you subscribe, it automatically goes to your phone and and alerts you that there is a new podcast out. And we've been doing a bunch of these now and releasing about one to two a week. Uh, And some weeks we release three. So it's a great way to just make sure you don't miss an episode of our podcast by downloading it. Uh, so subscribe there and uh, and become a member as well and, and you can do that by going to sportspectrum.com for 36 bucks it's it's for it's for a, a subscription for a, an entire year $36 it gets you our quarterly magazine it gets you all access to everything that's on sportspectrum.com from our from our archives we're talking 30 years worth of content and it allows you to help kind of help partner with us and fund what we've been able to give you for free, which is all the content currently at SportsSpectrum.com as well as this podcast. So we would love to have you partner with us. 36 bucks, you know, get a subscription for your kids, your grandkids, uh, maybe for your church youth group. It's just a real neat way to, to minister and to share the inspiring stories of faith and of sports. All right. Today's guest is Chris Broussard. Now, Chris, Uh, And I worked together at ESPN for many years. We were colleagues there. Uh, Chris, of course, known as covering the NBA. He was the guy, uh, one of the guys anyways, that broke the LeBron James story when he left and made the decision to go from Cleveland to Miami. Chris has covered the NBA for many, many years. He's as plugged in as there is. He's also a really strong Christian and a guy who loves the Lord, loves Jesus Christ. And, And Chris is not ashamed of that. And there was a moment that happened back in 2013 on ESPN when he had to share his faith and he had to share some of his beliefs that he stands by, some of the the, the convictions that he lives by, and uh, took a lot of heat for it. And we're going to talk about that in the interview here in just a moment. And we're also going to talk about sort of his journey and his journey going from uh, going from college into the broadcasting world, ending up at ESPN. What a platform looks like when you become sort of a known. A personality, a known analyst, like you do when you go to ESPN. Everybody watches ESPN and and knows the people who work on there. And then leaving ESPN to go to Fox and what that was like. Uh, so I, we talk a lot about that, and we also talk about Chris's faith and his his deep convictions. Uh, his deep Christian faith and why Jesus is the center of who he is and at the center of his family and all the relationships that he has. So I think you guys will really enjoy this podcast. Here is episode number 44 with Fox Sports analyst, Chris
1: Broussard. Chris, how you doing? I'm great, Jason. It's great to be on with you, man. Yeah, it's
0: great to talk to you. I feel like, uh, you know, it's sort of a rekindling, like a reunion a little bit for each of us. Yeah, for
1: sure. (laughs) We had a great relationship
0: when we were both at ESPN, but, uh, you know, things change, seasons change, and here we go. We're off to different, different venues and different ventures, and you left ESPN after 12 years, so let's start right there real quick. You went to Fox last year, fall of 2016, leaving the East Coast for the West Coast. How has that transition been for you over the past year?
1: well it's been great. Um, I really love the role I'm in at Fox, which is basically why I left um, ESPN you know they they made me an offer but they wanted me to kind of stay in the reporter's role and just try to break news chase news and so on and so forth hmm. and Fox wanted me more in an opinion personality role uh, which would give me a chance to you know share more about like different all the social issues you can get into when, with sports, you know, that come yeah. up and, uh, and also just, you know, I was ready to move on from chasing news. And so um, in that, from that respect um, it's been great. Um, I'm really enjoying my time, enjoying my time at Fox. I mean, it's almost like being at ESPN because half of ESPN or for you know, half of Fox is former ESPN employees. I mean, I, I literally must've met about 30 uh, people at Fox in front of the camera and behind it, who used to be at ESPN.
0: Well, that's gotta so, be at least comforting for you to come there and, sh- and, you know, have some familiar faces, but what's oh, been man. what's been the biggest difference for you? I mean, not just from the reporting aspect, but just yep. maybe the culture or maybe just the, the vibe or even just the, the opportunities that you've had, what's been the biggest difference compared to your time at ESPN now that you're at Fox?
1: I think number one, um, is that it, for me? Just from a, my own standpoint, it's been an adjustment going from being a reporter to being more of a commentator. Because at ESPN, I was always, you know, used to saying what people were telling me. Mm-hmm. So when I go on SportsCenter or some other show, it was like, "Well, people around the league are saying this," or "Players said are saying this," or "I've been told this or that," you know. And now at Fox. Obviously, you know, I still keep in touch with people around the NBA to have an educated uh, opinion. But it's really they want my opinion. They want my views and what I think uh, about this and that. And I do a radio show there as well, a national radio show on the weekends. And that's the same thing. So that's been an adjustment. Not, you know, it's been natural to think, well, let me call somebody or let me see what they're saying about this you know rather than just going with what I think so uh that's been a bit of an adjustment uh as far as just my mentality but um also I mean obviously you know the west coast is a lot different from the east coast um the weather you know out there (laughs) I'm more of an east coast guy yeah Uh, I like the urban cities in the east but it's hard. The more you're out there, the more you like, you know, you really like it when you walk outside and it's 75 and sunny every day, not humid. Uh, it, you, you get to like, it. and I have a lot of fam, some family and, and some friends out there. So, um, it's, it's really been, it's been good in that respect.
0: How has it been family wise? You're married, you have a couple of kids. How has that been for you in the family dynamic? Cause that's always hard for me. It was hard
1: to yeah. sort of leave
0: the comforts of a job at ESPN to kind of go into ministry for you, what was that like leaving ESPN from East Coast to West Coast and the whole family dynamic?
1: Yeah, that's been uh, the biggest challenge because my wife, my wife is a medical doctor, and she is uh, she's a partner in her practice in, in New Jersey, mm. so she was not able to just up and leave without there being a lot of financial ramifications and stuff. So she's still in New Jersey, and I'm in LA. Which obviously isn't ideal. Um, but we made the best of it. And it's it hasn't been bad. I'm living with family out in LA. So um that, you know, has been good. And I, I think it it makes it easier on her to know I'm with family out there <laughs> rather than in like a bachelor pad, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. So so that's been good. But um we we get back, you know, we go we've gone back and forth every couple of weeks. She's come out to LA, I've come back uh to uh New Jersey and Fox has been great about making sure I get time to get back uh east uh, they've been very understanding in that regard and so you know it's it's been fun on a lot of levels because it's kind of like we've been dating you know we've been married 22 years mm. so um we it's kind of been refreshing because the time we spend together is like total quality time you know it's no yeah, you know, you don't have to worry about the daily grind and all that stuff. And so, um we've we've had a lot of fun, you know, when I come back to New Jersey, we hang out and when she comes back to LA, we we have like we date, you know. And so, uh that's been good, but we're we're, you know, looking at how we're going to figure out because obviously this isn't something you want to do long term. But for the time being it's great and the good news is that uh Fox did just start a show in New York called First Things First. Uh, that's on Monday through Friday, every morning. And they're going to send me back to New Jersey or New York one week out of every month to be on that show. So that'll be good because I'll be staying at home and I'll be home for like nine days straight or something like that every month. So, so that'll make it better. So, you know, we're making the best of it. My daughters are in college. Mm. Um, they're sophomores now. So if they had been at home, Still growing up, I would not have made the change. I would not have made the move. Um, but with them being gone, it hasn't affected them really at all. So um so that's been good too. And we always you know, we'll meet, my wife and I will meet at my one daughter's at Penn, the other's at Michigan. So we'll meet there for like parent weekends and stuff like that. So we've been making the best of it and it's been it's been good.
0: Talking to Chris Broussard here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Now, Chris, let's go back because I, I've heard your testimony. You know, I remember when you came and shared it with us at ESPN a few years ago, we had our, our lunch Bible study and hear your story of how Christ came into your life. But I really like to hear that. I uh, have the listeners hear that story. So take us back. How, how did your faith in Christ begin? When did it start for you? When did it kind of take, take form and take shape?
1: Well, I was, uh, I was raised Catholic. And, uh, I wouldn't say devout, but I mean, we did go to church every Sunday and my father, uh, believe it or not, believe it or not, he actually studied in high school. He went to seminary for two years to be a priest hmm. and, uh, he ended up not, you know, leaving there. And he actually left because of racism, uh, because at a, my father is, you know, very light skinned like myself. And when he was at the seminary, uh, I guess a lot of his a lot of his classmates didn't realize he was black. And um, one day somebody asked him why he was so dark. And, you know, even though, again, he's not that dark, but he said, you know, maybe it's because I'm colored. You know, at that time in the 50s, he said colored.
0: Um,
1: And uh, he noted like that later that day um and obviously in the evening everything like people just started shunning him now these are future priests you know and they were uh shunning him and even guys he had been close with you know were like just giving him the cold shoulder and so he talked to his uh father about it and what he was experiencing this had gone on for several weeks and uh his his father told him he said everybody can't be Jackie Robinson come on home you know and so hmm. he he left the seminary and uh didn't become a priest but i'm thankful actually because as you know catholic priests are celibate yes so i would not be here that's if, very true. Uh, <laughs> if, if, <laughs> if he had become a priest that's very so, true um, yeah but you know a, a lot of times i think about that sometimes and just that you know it's amazing how god works and that obviously my father had you know uh serious, you know, thoughts about God. You know, and and was thinking at one time about fully, you know, I mean, that's really making a big uh sacrifice to become a priest and and celibate your whole life and all that stuff. So, um but anyway, he was, you know, he didn't become a priest. And uh it's probably good. He's a, he's actually was kind of wild himself. Mm-hmm. You know, he uh <laughs> in his lifestyle. So, I don't know if it would have been a great fit anyway, but um, so growing up, I was Catholic. We went to church every Sunday. Good family. My parents and, and both my parents together, they've been married for um, it will be 52 years in October. Um, so, you know, good, strong family. Uh, I was a good, you know, relatively good kid, good student, did well in school. Um, but, you know, I wasn't I, I didn't have a personal relationship with God. And even though I was growing up Catholic and being taught, you know, about Jesus in Catholic schools and, um, you know, the Ten Commandments and things like that, my lifestyle was, you know, uh, not it showed that I didn't have a relationship with God, Um, didn't really know anything about having a personal relationship with Christ. And so, you know, I began to get into, you know, ninth grade, started getting drunk you know, regularly uh, on weekends and um, was getting involved in sexual immorality and things like that in high school and college. College um, pledged fraternity and was involved in hazing, you know, physical hazing and stuff like that. Mm. Um, So just some, you know, things that showed that my lifestyle uh, was not in line with somebody who was, was really trying to follow God. Um, But to other people, you know, I would have been considered, you know, a good young man, you know, good role model, good student and all all that stuff. So uh, my sophomore year in college, I began dating uh, a woman who was a born again Christian. Uh, And she really was the first person that I was really close with who was a Bible believing Christian. And she really exposed me to, you know, biblical Christianity. And I remember, like, she would want to pray. And, um, you know, I was open to praying, um, you know, because I used to pray as a Catholic. And uh, I pray a lot of nights in college and stuff before I went to bed or whatever. And when we prayed, she would pray like she knew God personally, you know, like, it sounded like she was talking to a father or a friend or somebody she had this intimate relationship with. And my prayers, all I could do was pray, uh, memorize prayers that I'd been taught as a Catholic. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Bless our God. You know, angel of God, my guardian light. You know, like I just, that's all I knew. I didn't know how to pray any other way. And I could just see how, it was much more powerful, um, what she was doing than what I was doing. And so that really was one of the first things that struck me as that, you know, she's got something that I don't have. Um. And you know i was I would go to Bible study with her occasionally, you know i was I liked her, so it was like, yeah, okay, you want to go to Bible study, I' go <laughs> you know? yeah, I, mean, I wasn't really necessarily going to hear the word she but... could have said
0: anywhere and you anywhere
1: exactly, right? exactly exactly exactly, <laughs> so um so I did that, and um, and we you know our relationship at times was a struggle because I wasn't a Christian, and I was trying to, you know, live a certain way. And she was trying to live for Christ. And so it was kind of a constant tug of war in a lot of ways. Um, but you know, again, she was beginning to expose me to uh, biblical Christianity. So one day after we had been dating for about a year and, um, we went to a church, she was in, she's two years older than me. So she was in medical school. Um, in Cleveland at Case Western Reserve and I was still at Oberlin College so it was about a 45 minute difference in where we were. So I went to church with her in Cleveland one Sunday and the the guy who was ministering um it was like a visiting pastor. Well first of all when I walked into the church that was different because right everybody was excited and like joyous, you know, which is something I had never seen in church, you know, being Catholic um, you know, Catholic masses were just very solemn and, you know, dull. And yes. I just would, uh, you know, count the minutes until they were over. You know, I, I, lo- I was an altar boy when I was younger and I loved it because it made the service go fast, you know, because <laughs> you were doing something and you were involved, you know, but uh, I just didn't, you know, church was just boring to me. Um, But going here, I mean, everybody was, you know, smiling and, and happy. And the, the words to the songs were up on, on the screens, on the walls and everybody was singing. And it was actually a little bit, it was exciting and and nice to see, but it was also a little bit strange. Like, wow, like what, what is going on here? You know? And they had a visiting pastor or minister and he shared his testimony about how he had, uh, he, you know, grew up in New York and he had been gotten involved in drugs as a teenager and, and got addicted to heroin and was really obviously just going the wrong way. And um he gave his life to Christ at 16 and it totally turned him around and, you know, cleaned him up and set him free from his addiction. And, you know, he just went on to to, you know, serve the Lord from there. And for some reason, even though I wasn't a drug user or anything like that, but his his testimony, maybe the realness of Christ working like that in somebody's life, it just really convicted me. And that was really the first time that I definitely felt like, you know what, I'm not right with God, and 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 I'm offending God with my lifestyle, which we all do as as sinners. Right. You know, um, I mean, the the Bible says the gospel is an offense. So, you know, when when God when we recognize that the way we're living, the way we're doing things, is opposed to God um and what he the way he wants us to live. It can be offensive, it can offend you, it can, you know, um startle you or whatever. So I really knew at that point, like, man, I, I need to get right with God you know, um, if I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm willfully living um, in defiance of his, his commands. Like I was taught, you know, the commandments in Catholic school and I was taught, you know, different Bible stories and how, you know, Christ wants us to live. And I was just willfully walking away from that, you know? And so I was, I recognized, man, I'm deservedly, like if I died I would not spend eternity with Christ, you know, with God. I would be in the other place, you know, hell. Yep. It would deservedly, you know, because I again I c I couldn't deny that I was willfully doing things I knew were against God's will. And um, so when they had the altar call that that day, um, you know, the pat priest or pastor, I'm sorry, pastors, you know making his altar call and call to salvation. And and I'm sitting there literally feeling like everybody in that church knows I'm not right with God. You know, like they're, they're pointing at me and saying, you need to go down and get right with God. You need to get saved. That's how much it was affect impacted me and how personal it had gotten. And I was literally just praying uh, God, please don't let this man come down and pull me out of my seat, you know, because Mm. I felt like he knew that I, I needed to be saved and I wasn't. Um, and he didn't, you know, he didn't come down. So, but when I left church that day, um, I knew from that point on, uh, that I needed, you know, to give my life to Christ. And, uh, I remember it ironically um, that was a Sunday you, you've heard, you, you, obviously, you know, about the famous shot by Michael Jordan. Of course. When he, the Cavs. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I was, I was, I had, after we left service, we went back to my girlfriend's apartment and she was studying and I was watching that game, Cleveland, um, Chicago game mm-hmm. five. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but while I'm watching it, I'm also reading these tracks these biblical tracts that I had gotten taken from the church, you know, about salvation, about, I mean, even about like premarital sex and and different things, you know, they was giving biblical uh, views on these different things. And um, so I'm kind of watching the game and reading all that at the same time. And so, you know, I go back to school up at Oberlin and, you know, knowing I needed to get right with God, but I, I just being honest, I didn't want to. I didn't want to get saved. I didn't want to give my life to Christ um, because I didn't want to repent. And we know the Bible talks about repentance as the first step to giving your life to Christ. And um, I knew I didn't have to be perfect, but I, I didn't want to like surrender to God. I didn't want Jesus to be my Lord, basically. You know, I wanted to be my Lord. I wanted to continue being my Lord. And do what I wanted to do, be my own boss and do what I wanted to do. And so um, you know, I I you know I didn't want to be different from my fraternity brothers, you know. I didn't want to be the only guy out there, not getting drunk anymore and not, you know, chasing girls and trying to get them into bed and things like that. And so I ran from God. You know, I went up to college and and got a little bit worse, probably partied a little bit more mm-hmm. in a negative way. And, um, but God still blessed me, you know, the Bible says he lets his rain to fall and his sun to shine on the just and the unjust. And so that summer, it was after my junior year of college, um, he blessed me with a summer internship at the Cleveland Plain Dealer, which at the time, and maybe even still is the biggest newspaper in Ohio. Mm -hmm. And so I had a sports writing internship that summer and did well and, this before like a week or two left in the internship, the sports editor told me that he they were going to hire me. They liked what I did. They were going to give me a job when I graduated from Oberlin uh, in a year. And so you can imagine, I mean, how great that was, you know, to to yeah. know, to be going into your senior year and knowing that you got a job waiting for you when you graduate a good job and a fun job, you know, in sports. I mean, yeah. So it was like, wow. Like I was on cloud nine. I was on the top of the world and, you know, but after a few days of just, you know, basking in that and feeling really great, I began to like, think about, I just began to feel kind of empty and kind of a void. And it was, it was kind of like, is this, is this, is this it? You know, and you know, when, when I, I I began feeling like empty and uh, when you have so much going for you in life, like, you know, I was at a good school. I had a girlfriend I love. I was co-captain of the basketball team. I had this promise of a great job, you know, in the, in my future, everything was going great for me, friends, you know, family. And yet, I wasn't fulfilled and I wasn't content. And I knew because, again, I had been running from God. So I knew that it was because I hadn't given my life to Christ. But I was looking for loopholes. I was looking for every way to kind of satisfy that or fulfill that void without giving my life to Christ. And so, you know, I kept running. I remember going to church one Sunday, Catholic Church, with my family and my girlfriends, and they my they're, my family's happy. My father's excited because I'm a you know his son's got a good job. You know going to be work be a sports writer. And my mother's excited. My girlfriend's excited because you know I'm looking like I'm actually going to be a pretty decent catch. Yeah. You know <laughs> all, that, all that and um and me inside I'm miserable. You know and you couldn't tell on the outside. You know I, I look fine on the outside and I put on a good front and everything but inside i was miserable and i remember uh staying in church sitting there and i'm like tried to make a deal with god and i was like god look i know i i I gotta give my life to you because i i just i'm i'm empty you know Mm -hmm. and i was like just it was august i was about to start you know my senior year in college so i was like lord just give me my first semester like let me, I'm gonna go up to my first semester senior year, and just do whatever I want, sow all my wild oats, have all the fun I want to have, and then in January, I'll get saved. I'll <laughs> give my life to you, you know. And it's probably not mind, a good idea to make it, a deal
0: with God, you know.
1: Exactly <laughs> right, right. In, in my mind, it was like God was like, okay, cool, we we got a deal. And obviously, I know that's not true, you know, because the scripture says tomorrow is not promised, you know, and right. today is the day of salvation. But in my mind, I felt like, okay, cool. I got to deal with God. I got a little semblance of peace. Okay. So I go back up to school and I'm, you know, out there trying to do my thing and, and this and that. And, and one, it just wasn't like in me anymore. Like I was just feeling like, man, it just wasn't the same. And I, and, and, you know, I didn't really, I was doing stuff I really didn't even want to do anymore necessarily. And, but I'm still looking, you know, for loopholes and everything. I remember I watched a movie. It's amazing what God will use. Yeah. I watched a movie on television. It was the Elvis Presley story, you know, <laughs> it was his life story. And obviously, Elvis had everything, right? All the women you could want, you know, uh, money, fame, fortune. You know, I mean, he had everything the world could offer, literally. And he was miserable. You know, I mean, he, he tried to, you know, that emptiness, that void, he tried to fill it with drugs. And we know that that contributed to his death. And I mean, he was just staying in his mansion by himself all day. You know, just I mean, and I'm sitting, I'm like, wow. I'm like, this guy had everything you could possibly want. And he was miserable. He wasn't happy. I read. Then I read a story in a magazine about Bobby Brown, who at that time, remember, he was hot. You know, oh, that yeah. Whitney Houston said, yeah, he was huge at that time. And the way I remember it, I remember reading a quote that I, I believe that I remember it saying, "I was ha- he was happier when he was poor than when he was rich because of all the problems that money brought. And we see that he's had, you know, issues with drugs and, and obviously all types of challenges. And that again hit me like, man, this guy got again has everything you could want, but he's not happier. He was happier when he was poor. And so I was really just running out of loopholes, you know, running out of, of possible ways to find fulfillment without Christ. And so my 21st birthday was in October, October 28th, this is 1989. So I'm, I'm, my parents, you know, they lived in Cleveland, so it wasn't far from Oberlin. So they were going to take me and my girlfriend out to dinner on my 21st birthday. So we go back to Cleveland and before we go out, my dad and I are running errands. And, you know, I just say to him, I'm like, I'm like, daddy, I said, I said, what What keeps you going? Like once you you got two sons, both are in college, both are doing well, You got a nice house, you know, like once you get all that, what keeps you motivated? What keeps you going? And he was like, well, you know, you want to find a get get a promotion on your job or, you know, you want to earn more money or you want to get a nicer car or a bigger house or, you know, Even, you know, you want to make more money so you can help other people or whatever it might be. Everything he was saying, I just knew. I was like, man, that's not that's not going to fill this void that's in my heart, you know. And so really, I was out of options, you know, and God just basically broke me down. And it was like, you can either keep running from God and Mm -hmm. be miserable or you can give your life to Christ and find some joy and some peace. And so, wow. on my twenty-first birthday, you know how on the birthday cake we we blow out the candle, make a wish. Of course. Well, instead of making a wish, that's when I repented, asked the the Holy Spirit to come into my heart, and and accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And uh, so my Great. my physical birthday is actually my spiritual birthday as well. And so, um, and you know, man, that's been, I don't know what now, 20, almost 28 years. So really more than half my life now I've been walking in the Lord. And I gotta be honest, I can't imagine living without Christ. Mm. I really can't. I mean, I, I, I guess I, I'm sure I would survive, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people living without Christ, but as far as having joy, having peace, having security being, you know, um secure myself like I, I just can't I can't even fathom it. Yeah. You know, I yeah. really can't. And so I'm just thankful, man. You know, you know, you have your challenges, you have your 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 struggles. Of course. Um you have you slip and fall. But um it's like that that the what resonates with me is that parable where Jesus said, you know, it's there's a man that built his house on sand. Yeah. And there's the man that built his house on the rock. And the storms and the waves and the winds came at both of them. But the one on the rock stood firm and obviously the one on the sand, you know, drowned and yeah. just, just got destroyed. And that's how I felt. Like when, no matter what comes my way, the trials, the tribulations, the challenges, when you know you are on a solid foundation, Yes. You know that guy's already laid. It just gives you so much strength and and security. You know, yeah. and you you overcome. And so, it's yeah, so man, it's it's been great. That's so good.
0: Talking to Chris Broussard here on the Sports Spectrum podcast. Thank you for sharing that. That's such a good story and and such an encouraging. Sort of, uh, for me, just to hear other people in this business, in this world of sports yeah. and media, who are open about their faith. So I want to I journey into that a little bit. You know, you, you develop your career, you start your career in journalism, you're in Cleveland, eventually you go to New York, uh, you work for the Times. And then 2004 comes, and ESPN car- comes calling, and your career really starts to take off, I would say, as far as a public perception People people are starting to know who you are now. You're being heard and read nationally, television, radio, dot com, the magazine. How do you how do how was that for you early on and just this sudden exposure that was kind of hitting you pre social media, by the way?
1: Yeah, 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 <laughs> um, yeah. That's a great question because to be honest, and I think this is true. I can't speak for everybody on what they thought inside. But when you look at a lot of the people on television now in sports, Stephen A. Smith, Skip Bayless, Mike Wilbon, Tony Kornheiser, Jamel Hill and Michael Smith. And, you know, the Adam Schefter, the the people that were sports writers. I don't think any of us necessarily got into it to be famous or on television. Again, I can't speak for them, for all of them, but you know, when you're a sports writer, you're not necessarily a, you're not a famous celebrity. Right. You know what I mean? You, you, I you're mean. You're covering celebrities, yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And you, you know, you have your byline, but besides that, for the most part, you know, you're mostly anonymous to most people. Sure. Um, and so when I got into it, that was what I was expecting um and i you know i worked my way up from high school and like you said to covering the nba and the new york times and moving to new york and the new york times is when you, i first began to be exposed to doing some television i had done some radio in cleveland but i started doing some television in new york and then of course as you said espn um you know it, you you start doing more and more tv oh yeah um, and really my it just kind of morphed into a TV role um, more than a writing role for me. Cause when I first went to ESPN, the magazine, I was going to be a writer and, you know, occasionally do TV. They were like, we've seen you on TV. We like you. We've had you on ESPN sometimes. We like you. So that'll be a component as well. But as time went on, I just started doing more and more and more television. And then it, it, that's when you really began to, to get uh, you know, somewhat famous and it was it you know I noticed it even in the league like you know when I was at the New York Times I would if I was going to a game outside of New York or or teams were coming into New York and I'm meeting players and coaches and stuff you know I'm, I go up I introduce myself hey I'm Chris Broussard from the New York Times you know and start talking to him whatever yeah once I began doing television now guys were coming up to me You know, and hey, man, how you doing? You know, and or if I go up to them, they knew me, you know, and so that dynamic, that's when I first recognized it. And then
0: was that weird for you? Is that different and strange?
1: That was that was different. That was different. It was good because, you know, guys felt more comfortable. They, you know, they can feel like they get a some sense of who you are on television. They felt more, more comfortable sharing information with me and, you know, things like that. So. It was good. Um, And like you said, it was a little different. Uh, And then really, I would say, again, I'm doing more TV and I'm seeing I'm starting to be recognized now publicly a little bit. Um, But in 2010, that summer, when LeBron James went from Cleveland (laughs) to Miami, I remember it well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That was hectic, you know. And I, I just really sought out and I said, man, I'm going to try to cover this story completely and, you know, just break a lot of stories. And I did. I was had good success that summer. And that's when really I went to a whole nother level in my career and also in terms of my public persona, like really people began to know me and recognize me and, um, you know, and that's where it, it really took off, and you know, I—it's I, just grown from there. Yeah, and I'm at a level where I will say this about fame. Obviously, I'm not like a LeBron James or any any. Yeah, but if, you, if you're a sports that, fan, though, you
0: know who you are. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. You, I mean, it is—it is fame, and I'll say this about fame. Um, I, I like it. I'm not complaining. I'm, I'm thankful for it but it is overrated, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of like, like I would hate to see, and I've told this to my children and other young people I talk to, you should not live your life just trying to be famous. Like that should just not, not be your goal because, um, out, like, like, it's just not, you like, like there are negatives. Like, like I'm at a level where, you know, I'm not again not recognized like like a LeBron James. I can't imagine he can't go anywhere I can't without imagine. being recognized. I know. Yeah, you know. And there are times when I just want to go out and go to the store or wherever, and I just don't feel like being recognized. Right. You know. And yeah. and there are times that happens because again I'm not on that level, um, but you know sometimes you just want to be to yourself. And and not have people come up to you and recognize you and things like that. Um. I'm at a level, to be honest, where for the most part, it's just flattering. You know, when I go out and people come see me and they want to take a picture. You know, it's not an onslaught where I can't do anything. So it's actually flattering. But the best thing I love about fame, in my opinion, the greatest thing about it is that you have a platform. Yes. And people will listen to you. So I'm able to speak at some of the biggest churches in the country because I know because I was on ESPN and now I'm at Fox Sports 1. You yep. know, that that's why. And but I love that because that enables me to try to, you know, reach people and minister to people and be an example. And and even in the secular realm, like, you know, I speak at schools and and colleges and high schools and I am able to. Uh, I'm not talking in a Christian sense at those venues, but I'm still able to pour some positive things into people's lives and help them in a positive way. And so,
0: and none of that happens if you haven't had that sort of ESPN fame. Oh,
1: exactly. I could be saying the same thing, the very same person and all that. But if I didn't have that platform, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be able to reach these people. So to me, that's the best part. You know, the, the people coming up to you and you do another good thing is you get, you get perks, you know, you get benefits of people sure. giving you things and things like that. <laughs> of course. Yeah. But outside of those things, you know, other than that, everything like, you know, people taking pictures, with you recognize and you autograph that, that fades away quickly that if you're not at peace with who you are inside, none of that's going to right really make you feel better you know what i mean oh yeah uh...
0: well let me ask you this because you talk about platform and fame and suddenly people are recognizing you and you know you and i spoke off off uh or before the interview yesterday actually texting about this and i wanted to i want to ask you about it so it's it's april of 2013 And you've never been ashamed of your faith. I know that. I've known you for, what, 15 years or whatever it's been. And we've had many conversations about faith. And I I appreciate you. You've always encouraged me. And and you're not ashamed. So all of a sudden, this story of NBA player Jason Collins announcing he was gay comes out. And it's a Monday. I remember this because we were texting, I think, either before or after the interview. And it's a Monday. (laughs) And Outside the Lines calls our show on ESPN. And I've worked on that show for many years. Bob Lee, one of the great people you'll ever meet. I know you'll, you'll attest to Bob as well. Yeah, He's no awesome. Doubt. And you know, you're know you on there to talk about sort of the dynamic of what the NBA is talking, sort of the scuttlebutt or what they're thinking about Jason Collins' announcement and what this is going to look like in the NBA. And you're asked about this. It's a 13-minute interview. I actually went back and watched it yesterday on YouTube just to kind of get remind myself of what it was. And you're asked about your faith and you're not ashamed about sharing your thoughts about homosexuality and sin nature and things like yeah. that. And all of a sudden, social media, because in 2013, Twitter, Instagram, <laughs> yeah. all that stuff, that's there. It blows yeah. up. And yeah. you see this sort of division among people in, in our country over Chris Broussard's words about his faith. And I've not seen anything like that since, and I'm sure you get asked about this a lot still, but there was people who were calling you to be fired, people you calling you to be let go. And then there was the other side of people who were supporting you. Um, Little inside note for you, by the way, I don't think I've ever told you this, but I actually got a call from ESPN asking me not to share anything on social media regarding your appearance on Outside the Lines. And I don't know if it's because they assumed that I was uh, like-minded in the way I thought as you did or what. And I never shared anything. All I said was I supported you. And I do to this day. You're my friend. Obviously, I yeah, support man. you. Just like what happened with Jamel Hill a couple weeks yeah. ago. Yeah. I support her. She's my friend, whether I agree with her or not. Yeah. But I just want to ask you, I want to go back to that time. And so, do you, first of all, do you regret anything that you said on the show that day?
1: No, I don't. Um, I don't regret it because I think I shared the truth in love you know, which is uh, what we're called to do as Christians. Um, and so I really don't. And it, it was, you know, to this day, as you said, I, I get asked about it a lot. Um, I was, in fact, I was just on a radio station in Boston about three weeks ago. Mm. And they asked me about it again. They were like, we're sh-, and they weren't Christians. Mm. It was just a sports show. Yeah. And they were like, "We are, sh- we can't believe you still have a job. And they, but they were—they weren't saying that like you should be fired. Yeah. They were saying that like, man, you know, you said what you said, and you know, we we support your right to say it. And a lot of people have been fired, you know, because of yeah. saying similar things. I thought
0: that was going to happen to you too. I remember texting you like, "Are you okay?" Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, you just didn't know. You know, you know what it, was happening.
1: Yeah, it was. You know, it's interesting because after that, and, and I don't want to bounce around in the story, but after that happened, when I went to, I went into NBA locker rooms. I mean, I'm talking about a week, week and a half, two yeah. weeks after that happened. And players, coaches, assistants, you know, like like uh, front office people who were Christians, yeah, which is a decent number, were coming up to me like, Yo, man, you know, that was great. You know, like really supportive. Yeah. And even some guys who weren't Christians were like giving me props on being courageous, you know, and speaking up and, 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 and say, you know, standing up for my beliefs. Yeah, And I told the Christian guys, I was like, look, you know, I'm not telling you what you got to do, you know, if you're asked about it or not. I say you have to be led by the Holy Spirit. In, in in different situations he may have you give a different answer. You know, but so I'm I I want them to know I wasn't pressuring pressuring them and saying you have to do what I did. You know what I mean? But just let God lead you and say what you, you know, feel he's telling you to say in that moment. I say that because you know, I can say this after the fact. Yeah. Um because, you know, when we fast, we're not supposed to talk about it and, and announce it and all that stuff. Right. But I just happened to be and, it you know, obviously, I didn't know what was going to happen with Jason Collins or any of that. But I was on a 21 day fast that that and and just a water fast, wow. like no, no food at, at all, just strictly water. And I was a week in on mm. that day. So I was seven days in. And I really, I don't believe that was a coincidence at all.
0: Mm. I
1: definitely believe that was God preparing me for, you know, what was to come, the onslaught, the media criticism and all that. Uh, and even to give me the strength to speak up and say what I said. And it, I, I laughed because, you know, I lost, I lost like 25 pounds or on that fast. Right. <laughs> and, um... I know, I know. People, when you know, I was on TV the whole time, you know, and and I'm I'm much thinner, obviously, and I'm sure some people were looking at it like, man, he is stressed out, <laughs> you know, he is, it's getting to it, you know what I mean? Yes. And um, when actually it had nothing to do with that, and I remember uh, being on a prayer call uh, after this happened, and I remember. Sharing with with some of the guys on the call that this one of the scriptures I was really taking heart in and that was strengthening me and emboldening me during this time was where Jesus said, "Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake." Mm-hmm. Yes, you know. So I really just took comfort in that because I knew I had stood up for God's word, and I and I didn't again. I didn't go out just bashing. You know, it wasn't gay bashing. It wasn't Not said in a spirit of division or hatred or, or judgment or anything like that. Correct. It was just simply sharing, you know, the views, you know, the word of God. Yeah. and um, And so... That, uh, that, that scripture really strengthened me and I, and I felt blessed and I still do to this day because again, that, that increased my platform even more with Christians. And I always pray, Yes. um, before I go on the air, God, I want people, I want you to get glory out of this, not me. And even though, you know, I'm not saying talking about Jesus on the air, of course, uh, virtually every time I'm on there, you know, and, and or every time I'm on there, I don't mention his name, anything like that. But I'm just even so, even though I'm just talking sports, I want people to see you in me and I want them to glorify you, not Chris Broussard. Mm-hmm. And now people love it or hate it. They know I'm a Christian. I mean, it, it's a ama- like everybody knows that now yeah. it's like, yeah. you know, wherever, and whether I'm on a Christian show or a secular show, whatever, a lot of times people, when they'll ask me a personal question, they'll say, we know you're a Christian and you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like we know you're a devout we Christian. have to preface so, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think what I've seen in going to arenas, this is four years later, but going into arenas still, is still, I'll I have women, men, boys, girls, all races you know come up to me and bring that up and thank me you know say they support me you know it was good for their children to see that their boys to see that and so i really feel like it emboldened a lot of christians um which is what we're going to need Um, (laughs) and 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 it's interesting when i was on the station in boston they asked a couple of weeks ago, they asked me, they said, do you think if you said that today, do you think you would have hmm. gotten fired?
0: It's a good question.
1: And yeah, I said I said, that's a great question. I said, I, honestly, I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I'll say, you know, ESPN was supportive I, I don't know if any kind con, what conversations took place behind the scenes well or i wanted I to ask you present. that
0: were they supportive of you you know after that moment because i think a lot of people don't you know have don't. this perception of espn you know and sort of where it leans or where it's yeah. on or whatever but for you when you say that what
1: was the support system like from them well when i say support it, it, i i just feel like they were um like I said, they didn't susp- – there was no suspension. Right. There was no, um, you know, No pun punishment. to your job or anything no, like that. No, none whatsoever. Um, in fact, what's interesting is that when I was – I mean right after the show, okay, um, minutes, within minutes after I got off there, I was actually walking out to my car uh, from – you know, I was at a studio yeah. uh, in Jersey. And I was walking in my car and I got a call from an ESPN executive, a high-ranking ESPN executive and I'm thinking okay here it comes you know what I mean like yeah. not not that I was going to get fired but that some there was going to be some type of serious discussion um, and and what the executive said was hey we just saw you on outside the lines we thought it was great you know we're trying to figure out do we want to use... and I was stunned because again I'm thinking they're going to be like you know yes. whatever uh, and they were like we're trying to decide Going forward, because this was like, you know, outside the lines on in the early afternoon, maybe three o'clock. I don't know what time it was, but in the afternoon. Yeah, two or three o'clock. Yeah, yeah. They were saying for the rest of the day, the shows, you know, going forward, we're trying to decide whether we want to use you as just a reporter who, because I had been on SportsCenter before OTL. And I've been just sharing what people were saying around the league. I was texting with guys, calling guys, talking to agents, players, coaches, you know, execs. And I was just sharing what they were saying, not my opinion.
0: Yeah, I remember. I was yep.
1: just, yeah, I was just objective, keeping myself out of it. This is what people were being t- telling me. Um, and they, so they were trying, they were saying, do we want you as a reporter or a commentator? You know, like sharing your own views or something. And I told them, I said, look, I'm fine either way. You know, I, either way, I'm fine. And then, so they were fine. I actually got texts from some people at ESPN. Oh, that was terrific. I thought you and LZ, and they weren't picking a side. They were saying, you know, it was a great discussion between yeah. you and LZ Granderson. Elz, of course, openly gay. Yes. And you guys, you know, we're friends, and you had a good discussion about a hot-button topic without being disrespectful, without calling each other names. You know, it was just a good yeah. discussion. And um, and then about you know I, I don't the media onslaught the social media onslaught began I guess maybe forty minutes later
0: yeah. were you aware of all that like were you checking Twitter or were your phone was your no. phone buzzing or were you kind of just trying to ignore it
1: I, Yeah I was I wasn't I don't, I wasn't aware of it I mean I, I became aware of it I don't know how because I definitely wasn't checking Twitter right um, I don't know if I got. I I probably got some calls um, and I was on, you know, they talked, it was on the 700 club. It was on, it was on like MSNBC, you know, it was on all the news networks too. Yeah. I I don't remember if it was, it must've been that night, I guess. I was going to say, I wasn't sure if it was that day or the next day, but I'm sure it was probably that evening. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, it just, I think I knew more from television and probably friends were texting me and stuff like that. Um, but ESPN, we talked that night and, uh, they called me and they were like, look, you know, we, we're gonna, we're going to, uh, keep you off the air. Uh, well, they they called me and they, they, they said they wanted me to release a statement, you know? And Mm -hmm. I said, well, look, I'm not apologizing. And they were like, no, no, we don't want you to apologize. We, we know we wouldn't ask you to do that. We just want you to release a statement that their concern, and they said this several times, their main concern was that I would be able to go on and cover the NBA for them. Mm-hmm. That I would not be viewed as, you know, that, that, that it would not get in the way of me reporting on the NBA.
0: Because yeah, that's what they hired you for.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Right. Which I understood. And so, I um, released I released a statement just clarifying my remarks and saying I mean I don't know some people were probably saying this that I was didn't want Jason Collins in the NBA so you know so I put in my statement I, I never uh, had any thought that Jason shouldn't be in the NBA or never was trying to say he shouldn't be in the NBA or anything like that correct and and so I released the statement and then they were like look we're gonna keep you off the air for you know for a little while. It's not a suspension or anything, but just and I to be honest, I understood it because I was like, I get that if when I step on SportsCenter right now, and I'm talking about the Lakers or the Cavs or whoever, people aren't seeing that they're thinking about the whole thing with Jason Collins. Yep, you know, and so I got it. I was like, okay, I understand it, but then it was it was interesting because like a few days later, they sent me to Atlanta. To cover, you know, to do sideline reporting for the Pacers Hawks playoff game. And so, um, so it was fine. So but they were supportive. Um, you know, they they had asked me not to really do interviews or not to do interviews, radio, and TV and all that stuff. And I did turn some down. Um, but I got a request, I don't know if you've heard of the Breakfast Club.
0: Yeah, I remember
1: yeah yeah yep. and down now, in new york city right yes 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 now the breakfast club is with charlemagne and a couple other people he's the most popular personality but they had made me he had made me donkey of the day you know which mm-hmm. was like a criticism for for my statement and i didn't know um about it and a friend of mine told me about it and, like, oh. and i knew we charlemagne and i had a mutual friend um a dj up at the station so i hit him to get charlamagne's number so i i called charlamagne and we talked that night and for about a half an hour and i shared with him you know my views he was asking me questions and i was sharing scripture with him why i believed the way i did and all that And he he grew, grew up in the church so he he understood it and he yeah. was like okay so he said man i get where you are coming from now and he was like, I, I understand now. So it was, he was like, I think you should go on some TV, radio show, something and kind of explain it in, in the way you did to me. And so he was like, you could come on our show. So yeah. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go on the show because, um, one, I didn't think ESPN would really even, Reck rec, understand know about it, you yeah. know, because it's a hip hop station and all that, you know. Right. But also just because I felt, you know, again, I felt it was important to get my side out and and clarify my remarks and things like that. And so I went on and as you know, I was on for ten fifteen minutes, whatever. And it was a really a great opportunity for me to share the biblical view on homosexuality yeah. um, and how it's. I'm not coming. I'm not judging them you know, and, 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 you know, treating that sin any different than adultery or any other, you know, any yes. other sin. Um, and also it enabled me to explain, like I said, the biblical view, because, you know, you'll hear people say, and it was written in some stories, columns that were critical of me. Oh, what well, the Bible also says, don't eat shrimp or, you know, you can't, you know, blend two pieces of cloth together and things like that. Right. And so I was able to share the the proper interpretation of the scripture and how the new testament also you know uh speaks against it not just the old testament and why the old testament moral code is still applicable Mm -hmm. to you know today and the dietary code is not you know and, and and what scriptures that back that up so it was really it really worked out um all the way around as far as being able to to share god's word and good. and be a light but um yeah it was a it was a it's it, also let me say this finally i also spoke with jason collins
0: i was going to ask you if you talked to him
1: yeah we talked the next day and we talked for about 10 minutes and um you know it was a good conversation i just shared that look man i know what's been written and people have you know said this and that i, I never was trying to say you shouldn't be in the NBA. You know, um, you you have a you know, right to live how you want to live. Um, you know, we just had a good conversation. Um, and, you know, I told him I, t- I understand, it took courage. You know, I, I did believe that, you know, even though I disagree with, you know, that lifestyle, yeah. it still takes courage for somebody to come out and share private things like that about yourself. So. You know, it was a good conversation. He was respectful. I was respectful. And I've, I've seen him a few times since. I, last time was in New Orleans at the All-Star Game this year. And uh, it was cool, you know, we were able to, to talk. And I've seen his brother who's an assistant coach with the Warriors. And there's respect there and stuff. So, good. you know, people act like you got to be against, like, as a Christian who doesn't believe in that, they think you hate people that live that lifestyle. You know, and that you're against them, and as you know, that's so far from the truth. I have friends that go to strip clubs. Yeah, I have friends that you know do all types of things I don't agree with, but we're still friends, and it's no different with that community.
0: We're talking to Chris Broussard here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Couple more questions with Chris, and do appreciate your time here uh, with us, Chris, on the on the podcast. I just want to talk a little NBA. You, you, we're the season's about to start. We're a couple weeks away. Uh, we're taping this mid to late September. Are we just looking at a four-peat again, you know, in terms of the NBA Finals with Golden State and Cleveland? <laughs> I'm trying to hope here. I'm a Celtics fan. I'm trying to hope that the Celtics might have gotten over, you know, the edge a little bit and they're closing yeah. the gap on Cleveland, trading for Kyrie Irving. But I have a hard time thinking anybody's going to challenge Golden State and Cleveland again. How do you yeah. see that?
1: Yeah, I do see that. That's my prediction. Um, I definitely think go, uh, Boston has gotten closer. Well, let me say that they, they certainly have – a more talented
0: team,
1: mm. um, you know, with Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward. I mean, they're, they're very talented. Um, so I, I would say right now I view them as the, the biggest challenger in the East to the Cavaliers. But if LeBron James does not show significant decline, you know, now it's possible he's in his 15th year. and At some point he's going to begin to decline, but if he hasn't shown, he didn't show it last year. And if he doesn't show it again this year, I still think that Cleveland is the best team in the East. People are forgetting that he still has a second star. And I'm not even talking about Isaiah Thomas. I'm talking about Kevin Love. Yeah,
0: he's 20 and you 10. Know. He's 20 and yeah, 10 of the game. I
1: mean, people rip Kevin Love, but you, you can't find another definitive third option. Third option, where you don't know how many looks you're going to get every night. You're not the main guy. They're not running a lot of plays for you. You're the third option. Your number of shots varies from night to night. And you still go out there and get 20 points and 10 rebounds a game. I mean, that's still a very good player. That's a perennial all-star player. And so I think that Love, especially with Isaiah Thomas being out early in the season, that Kevin Love will step up and you'll see better play and production out of him than you have at any time during his tenure in Cleveland so far. So, and then I think Jay Crowder brings that defensive tough, physical toughness to them that they lacked, you know, last year that they kind of got away from. Um, So I think they'll improve in that area. And then of course, if Isaiah Thomas, let's say he comes back in February, I'm assuming he comes back, which I I think he will, um, even if it's halfway through the season and he is, close to the player he was last year, then I think Cleveland is actually better than they were last year. Even though Kyrie's the best player in the trade, I think if with a healthy Isaiah Thomas, with Jay Crowder improving their defense, um, and not to mention Derrick Rose and Jeff Green, who I think Jeff Green can be a good defender for them, you know, I think they're a better team. So I still pick them in the East. Even if Isaiah, let's say worst case scenario, he doesn't play the entire year. I still think with LeBron uh, at, at the top of his game, Kevin Love, Derrick Rose, some of the other guys I mentioned, I still think they're the best team. Now, Boston has more talent than they had last year. No question. But they, they only have four guys left from last season. Right. And they're going, it's going to take them a while, I think, to develop chemistry. And so, I mean, Kyrie now is in a different role, which he wants, which is to be a true point guard. And Gordon Hayward has never played with a point guard like Kyrie. You know, Gordon Hayward's handled the ball quite a bit in Utah, you know, and so now he's going to have to get used to playing with a a ball-dominant point guard who's probably going to lead your team in scoring. And so I think they've just, you know, and Avery Bradley, Jay Crowder, those guys I mean Isaiah obviously was the best player but those guys brought heart and they brought that that identity of toughness and defense and 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 team play to the Celtics now Brad Stevens is a great coach so I think he'll work it out but those are just things they're gonna have to work through you know as a team this year and I think it could take a little time but um Look, they're going to be very good. I think they're probably a little bit closer to Cleveland than they were last year. But I still think the Cavs are the best team. I feel like they're
0: all playing for second place anyways. Like Golden State is so far oh, yeah. ahead of everybody else that it really doesn't matter, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I agree. I mean, I think Golden State is going to – look, if they don't hurt themselves or right. there's no injury, right? Let, they should win the ne- at least the next two. I agree. <laughs> at least – and I mean, it could be the next three or four. Here's the thing, though. Now, now, obviously, they have a ton of talent. But Cleveland's talent, just on paper, their talent is, is, is very close, I believe. Mm. I mean, their three, Golden State's three best players are Durant, Steph, Draymond. Cleveland's now are LeBron, Kevin Love, and Isaiah Thomas. I mean, Isaiah was fifth in the MVP voting last year. Kevin Love was viewed as a top 10, 15 player when he was in Minnesota. So I'm not saying Cleveland has as much talent, but I think there it's not that much of a gap. Yeah. I think the gap is in San or uh Golden State has a perfect system for its personnel. And I don't know that Cleveland has found that. And not, not just Cleveland, most teams in the league. You know, last year, I thought Cleveland and they admittedly, they tried to play like Golden State. They shot three pointers more than Golden State. They were a finesse team. Their defense was atrocious for the most part, you know, the second half of the season. And that's not they're not going to out Golden State Golden State, right? you know, and so I think they need to find what is the perfect style for us. And I don't think with LeBron and Kyrie last year or LeBron and Isaiah this year, if those two are dominating the basketball and creating for everybody else, that's great. It'll beat probably everybody else in the league. But I don't think that style can beat Golden State. I think they have to figure out, a. a you know, I think LeBron, I'd like to see him in the post more against Golden State. i like to see Kevin Love in the post more exploiting them you know um so i i think that they have to i think that's the way i feel about the cleveland golden state dynamic is that um cleveland's got nearly as much talent they just have to find a way to put it together as well as golden state has put together its talent
0: love it well just a couple more questions chris and we'll wrap up here quickly i want to talk about the king movement uh, and I love what you're doing with your ministry in KING. And uh, I just want you to share you. what it is and, and why you started it.
1: Yeah, KING is uh, it's an acronym that stands for Knowledge, Inspiration, and Nurture Through God. And um, it's really a Christian men's movement um, that, in a nutshell, that wants to strengthen men in, the, in their daily walks with Christ, You know, Monday through Saturday. And a big part of that, you know, so we, we do that through accountability. Encouragement, support, teaching and brotherhood, you know, and one of the reasons I started King was because, as you know, um, especially when I was young, I mean, I got saved at 21, as I said, I didn't know a lot of men who were my age, uh, who I could relate to in many ways through sports, through music, culture, whatever, who also were Christians. You know, most of my I knew a lot of guys, some guys that went to church, but guys that were really trying to live according to the teachings of the Bible. um, It was I didn't know a lot. And so I began longing for that brotherhood. And as I found more and more guys living like that, that were like my age, because even if you're in a good church, um, you still may, you know, a lot of the men may be older. You know, or some of the men your age may be married, you know, with kids. You know, you just you're you're not able to find that. And so as I I began to meet more and more men like me in my age group and and things I liked and enjoyed, um, they were isolated, too. You know, they and, and some of them, actually, I could see them them end up, you know, backsliding and, you know, getting in trouble and getting out there into a lifestyle they didn't want to. Um, and away from God because they really didn't have that brotherhood. All their friends were still, you know, in the world. And, um, so they got caught up in stuff like that. So that's one of the things that led me to say, you know what, if we, we need a brotherhood, you know, where you can, you know, talk to somebody, just real talk, man, I'm struggling with pornography, man, you know, and, and, and not be condemned and just you know, get prayer and and just talk it out with somebody that you can trust and who understands where you're coming from. Man, this girl hitting on me. You know, I I I really you know. And your 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 other friends may tell you to go ahead and, and mess around with him, even though you're married. You know what I mean? And we wanted to provide a brotherhood where you would get support from men. You know. Uh, trying to, you know, keep you on your, on the path for Christ. So that's really what we're about. We have like about 14 chapters throughout the country um, and it's growing. Um, And so, yes, it's been really good. It's been really good. We have a website, obviously. Yeah. Where can people find out more about it? Yeah, kingmovement.com, kingmovement.com. We have some blogs. You've written some blogs for us, which have been great. Yes. And um, so, yeah, it's it's been it's been great, and I'm really passionate about that.
0: Yeah, it's a great ministry, for especially for the men that are listening to this podcast. Check it out on the web, King Movement. And it's just really great stuff to encourage men. You know, you've allowed me. I know you mentioned earlier about the prayer calls that you have. you allowed me to share mm-hmm. on the prayer call that you have each week. Uh, and I love that, and I just love as guys, we need to get together. We need to yeah. fellowship together. We're working on that in our own church about getting a, a men's ministry of just guys being transparent and being real uh, because yep. and encouraging to each other. Because I think so much of our lives, we feel like we're being judged or, or we can't be open about what our real struggles are because somebody might say something about us. So this is just really a great opportunity for, for men to get together, be transparent, be vulnerable. And, but still hear the, hear the love of God, the love of Christ in uh, the encouragement from others. So really cool stuff you got going on there, Chris. And listen, again, I appreciate you joining us here. Our last question is something that we ask to all of our uh, guests here on the podcast. And for you, I just want to know, what is what is God teaching you right now?
1: Man. Um, God is... I was just like praying about it this morning, um, trying to figure out the best way to put it. Um but God is, uh, he was taking, he was like, um, really he's helping me overcome um, some of my fears and challenges. Um, and uh, really sh- just, just strengthening me in terms of um, just being more focused on him. And not focused on, you know, what other people are saying or uh, criticisms from other people. We've talked about that in the past or earlier in the podcast. But, you know, God is really just um, strengthening me in that area. Like um, being, you know, secure in him and not being walking in faith rather than in fear. And. What God is like, the scripture God was bringing to my mind this morning: resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And so, in a lot of the challenges that we have, um, it's a you you it's a fight to overcome it, you know. Mm-hmm. And 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 a lot of times we might want immediate deliverance from something, you know. And God was sharing with me today that you, you have to, you know, you have to be prayerful. And be focused on this scripture and resolute every day. That's when you'll get deliverance. Because, you know, you can feel, you can feel, a, you can feel really victorious in Christ for one day or two days or whatever. And then the third day you have that challenge comes back. Yeah. And so God was sharing with me how every day you have to, you have to, you know, fight the fight. And be resolute. And that and he was saying that word resist. Every anytime he says resist the devil, anytime there's resistance, that's tough. Yeah. You know, weightlifting is a form of resistance. And that's it's hard to lift weights. You know, um, pushing yourself when you jog past, you know, a certain distance is resistance, and that's tough. You know, um, you know, if you're a lineman blocking and you're providing resistance for the quarterback so the defensive lineman don't get through, that's tough. So, you, you know, understand it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be tough to get up every day and be resolute, you know, and, and disciplined um, to overcome whatever particular challenge you're facing. But um, that's what we're called to do. And when you do it, the the scripture says the devil will flee. So the victory will come. It may not come like just immediately one day, but as you do it and as you resist over time, the full deliverance will come. And so that's kind of been what God has been sharing with me recently.
0: He is Chris Broussard, Fox Sports Analyst, formerly my colleague over at ESPN and a great friend. And I appreciate you, Chris, for for sharing your heart, for sharing your story, for being open and uh, for being bold in your faith. And uh, I really do appreciate you joining us here on the podcast. Thanks so much,
1: man. I enjoyed it. It's always good to talk with you on or off the air. Yes, and, sir. Um, so, man, you're, what you're doing is great. I've been listening to the podcast and uh, it's really been inspirational. And so uh, keep up the great work, man. And we do
0: thank Chris Broussard, Fox Sports analyst and former ESPN NBA insider, for joining us here on the Sports Spectrum podcast. So much good stuff there. We talked a little NBA. We talked about his faith, and you know, even talked about how difficult it was for him uh, to walk through that incident back in April of 2013 when he was on ESPN's Outside the Lines, and and shared uh, just sort of his convictions and his faith about you know, homosexuality and sin and things like that. And, you know, I, I admire Chris for his faith. I really do. I admire his boldness. I admire the fact that he's unashamed about what he believes. And I admire the fact that he puts his faith and trust in God and, and what the word says. And uh, that's what God says. And that's, as Christians, I think it's an encouraging thing because we sometimes can get in our own way as believers, right? And so it's really great, I think, sometimes when we can listen to someone like Chris who can encourage us to stand strong in the faith and not be sort of sold out for the things of this world. And and what what does it say in Romans 12 too, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds and, and renewing our mind every day in Christ and the importance of doing that. So really appreciate Chris, appreciate his heart and appreciate his honesty in coming on the podcast and sharing his story. And we thank you for listening and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast.